Well, good morning. I am using a microphone this morning because my voice is kind of weak. Um, typically, I can bellow out to the back row, but today uh, I'm going to be struggling along. I know there's many of you who have been sick, many of people who are gone today who have been sick, but um, you know what? There's nowhere else I would rather be than right here. So uh, I am excited to be here with you today. So uh, we're going to be continuing our series. Josh, could you turn me up a little bit more even? Right here? We're going to be continuing our series, The Power to Rise Above. And we, we started this series on Easter Sunday as we recognize that the power of the resurrection changes everything in our life. The power of the resurrection should give us opportunity to access incredible things. And so we started that conversation on Easter Sunday, and last week we talked about how uh, the it gives us the power to rise above our sin. And today I want to talk to you about how uh, the resurrection should give us the power to rise above our fear. It should give us the power to rise above our fear. Um, is this microphone about as good as we're going we're gonna to get with this? Um, can it go any louder? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, I all right. I'm used to I'm used to being able to really speak loud. Okay. Um, so so today we're I want to talk about those fears a little bit. I want to talk about those. It's too loud. Okay. Maybe I should just get rid of the microphone. All right. I will try. Um, so let's today I want to talk about some of those fears. Those fears that um, all of us have. I think they're common to all of us. All of us have different ones. There's, there's so many different fears in our life. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. I got my coffee back here. I got my water. Everybody's taking good care of me. After church today, I'm going to bed. All right. Um, but we'll make it through the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Um, we all have fears. We all have incredible fears. There are uh, lots of different even phobias that are out there. Phobias are like those extreme irrational fears. Do you know that there's a phobia of church? Maybe some of you had that before you came here uh, one time where you're like, I do not know what's going to happen. I've had many people tell me when I walk in a church door, that is terrifying. I'm afraid that the ceiling will collapse because of all the stuff that I've done. But there is a phobia of church. It's called ecclesophobia, um, the fear of church. Uh, we're not a scary place, right? This is not a scary place. There's people who have fear of computers. And I guess after all the Facebook stuff this past week, maybe I would uh, kind of, my fear of computers has gone up a little bit, but that's cyberphobia. There are people that have fear of women. Now, that one I totally understand. Uh, fear of women. Um, genophobia. But, but, and some, so some fears seem irrational, they seem silly, but all of us can relate to having fears. And uh, fear can produce all kinds of different emotions. Um, sometimes even physical, sweating, our hearts pound, there's shortness of breath, dry throat, um, all of these th things that we physically can feel and sometimes it feels like it's so much beyond our control. 
But I believe that there is something very unique and very powerful about the message of the resurrection that should help us to overcome our fears. It should give us the power to rise above those fears. When Jesus, right before Jesus was leaving earth, he knew that his disciples would be fearful. And so in John 14, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Um, and, and then later on, he says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Um, I do not give what the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus is telling the people, he said, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. What you're about to experience and what you're about to realize should help you rise above your fears. Well, the 12 disciples are not too much different than us, and they had incredible fears. And I think as I was looking through and thinking about all of the followers of Christ and the fears that they had, I found that they're, they're kind of common categories of fear that probably all of us could relate to in one way or another. So I want to look at those. These are some of the fears that the disciples had prior to the resurrection. These are the people that followed Jesus. These are the people that were some of the most committed. They were the ones that would show up to church even when they were a little bit sick. I mean, these were the people that followed Christ. You would think these are the people that shouldn't have too many fears. But these are some of the fears that these followers of Christ had prior to the resurrection. Is that the first one, Judas, he had a fear of not having enough. I don't know if you've ever had, can relate to that fear. Fear of not having enough. Fear of what, where's my next meal going to come? Am I going to be able to pay this bill? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I going to, am I going to have enough energy, resource, talents, whatever it may do, be to meet the need that is required of me? And I think a lot of us sometimes have that fear. And Judas, on a couple of different occasions, was worried about money. He was worried when a woman came and, you know, gave this elaborate gift of perfume to Jesus. And he was like, you, you know, we could have we sold that and got a lot of money. And maybe he had some other ulterior motives that we find out more about later. That he was greedy and he was even stealing from uh, the fund that the disciples were using. But later, you know, he is willing to give up on and to sell out Jesus for a small sum of money. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. But sometimes our fears are so irrational, sometimes our fears control us so much that we can do dramatic things. If you have a fear of not having enough, I mean, you, you could do some illegal things. People have done illegal things because they're afraid, I'm not gonna have enough money. So I'm gonna cut corners and you know it's tax time and things like this. And you'd say, you know what? I'm going to compromise my belief. I'm gonna compromise my standards because I don't believe I'm going to have enough. I don't know if you can relate to that one, but Judas, the, the disciple that we all kind of know is kind of the villain of the gospel story was riddled with, with this fear, and it's kind of a picture of that fear. It's something that we can relate to. But the other disciples also had fears. James and John had the fear of failure. 
In Mark chapter 10, they, they had this incredible encounter with Jesus. And I'm not going to read all of these scriptures, but it's something you can go back and reference. But in Mark chapter 10, James and John, along with their mother, are kind of working out ways for them to be the most famous, prestigious, well-known disciples. That they thought, you know, we need to have our place, our status, our reputation. I need to be a person of success. What are other people thinking about me? Do other people think I'm a failure? Do other people think, you know, I, I, I haven't achieved as much as I should? Do other people think that I'm not great? They had this fear of failure and it drove them. Actually, what they did is they under undermined all the rest of their disciples and their friends, and they went behind their, their friends' back to kind of position themselves in a place where they were hoping they would be elevated uh, among the disciples and they would be uh, viewed as a success beyond what the other disciples did. This fear of failure. And, you know, this is something that I think is common and something that I struggle with is, is this, this feeling, do I measure up? How am, I, how am I compared to the other people in my life? When we think about like the 25-year the reunion or the high school reunion or, or kind of that, that Facebook portrayal of life that we're trying to put out there saying, look at me, look how successful I am. And we, many times, we can even fall into places where we're lying to others and even ourselves to try to put ourselves out there as I am successful. I've made it. I've arrived. So maybe you can relate to James and John and their fear of failure, their fear that they won't measure up, their fear that they won't be known as great people. Peter, he had a fear of what other people think. I don't know if you remember this story in the book of Matthew chapter 26, and it's actually in every, all four of the gospels, where Pete, where Jesus is about to um, be beaten and go to the cross, and he's in this environment where there's lots of people around, and they recognize Peter as one of the followers of Christ, and Peter denies knowing Jesus. We may say maybe he was afraid of, like, he would get caught up in this mix and he would have the same fate of Jesus. He would, he would be also persecuted, whipped, or put to death or any of these things. But you know what? It's interesting is that one, some of the encounters he had with people is there were people that, that really had no power whatsoever. There's one encounter he had with just like some little girl that was saying, you know what, Peter? Weren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, no, no. I don't even know that guy. I'm not with him. It's almost kind of reminds me of like a high school kid that is, that is, aren't you friends with that guy, that nerd? No, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. I'm not associated with that. I'm, I'm one of you. And Peter has this unbelievable failure moment and it seems like it's driven by his fear of maybe what other people will think. Am I with Jesus? No, I'm not with Jesus. I think back and I relate to times in my life where I thought, uh, people are like, you know, are you, are you a Christian? Are you a follower? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm not like one of those crazy followers of Christ. I'm not like one of them. 
That's kind of the moment it seems like Peter has right here. Almost like that embarrassed high school student that doesn't want to be associated with somebody else. And he's like, I'm afraid of what some random stranger would think about me. And so I'm willing to deny the fact that I follow Christ as a result of that. Incredible failure that Peter has. Here's an a incredible fear that I think all of us can relate to. Something we talked about in Easter Sunday. The fear of death. Now this is, this is pretty legitimate fear that all of us can relate to and probably should have. We, it's probably good to have a little bit of a fear of that. But in Mark 14, 50, it says when Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples scatter. And the only one that is present when Jesus is hanging on the cross is John. He's the only one that was willing to show up. All of them ran away in fear for their lives. They were saying, I do not want to get caught up in this. I don't want to be, have the same fate. I don't want to suffer the pain. And so I'm out of here. And they abandoned Jesus in that moment. And then the last one, Thomas. After even the resurrection, the other disciples had seen Jesus, and Thomas wasn't with them when the uh, other disciples had that encounter with Jesus. And so he says, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And in John chapter 20, 24 through 29, he finally sees Jesus face to face and has the encounter where he is proven that he's wrong and he, he, he moves past this. Maybe you've had the fear of being wrong. Maybe the fear of what if this isn't true? What if I'm basing my life on something that is false? What if, what if I'm wrong? How embarrassing would that be? And Thomas falls into the category. If you think about all of these people, this is normal reactions and these are things that each of the disciples had and i think they're all broad categories that we can look at and we can say you know those are things that I, i've been there before i've had that fear before but something that is striking and is stark in the scripture that is is this is how the disciples kind of functioned and they lived prior to the resurrection this is a journey maybe that all of us have to go through at some point in time in our journey towards faith. And I think it's appropriate. Some of us, we, we kind of, as we're going to Christ and we have our, we're, we're seeking him out, we have these fears that pop up. These fears of, is this going to work out? Is this going to be enough? Jesus, are you going to take care of my needs? Je you know, is this, am I going to be a failure in life? Am I, it, what are other people going to think of me if I really follow you? What about death that is coming? What about if I'm wrong? All of these things are normal part of the journey as we're going towards God. But the, but the thing that is stark and the thing that is clear is that after the resurrection, it changes. After the resurrection, everything changes. And that's really what this whole series is about. The, 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 the point of Jesus raising from the dead changes the way that we respond to some of these things. And I think that if I was honest about my own life and my own faith, is that there's many times that I function 
in a pre-resurrection mindset as a follower of Christ. I function in kind of how I would term it is the halfway faith. Halfway faith. I don't know what percentage it is. Maybe sometimes it varies back and forth. But I have faith to a degree, but not faith to 100%. A halfway faith. And I think that there is something particularly troubling, something particularly hard that we have to go through if we live in that moment for an extended period of time. There are times that we should be afraid for a moment, but we have to, if we don't move through those things and past those things, then we've kind of stayed stuck in this mindset of pre-resurrection follower of Christ. But here's what happens after the resurrection. It's different. Something changes. Something is incredibly different in how the disciples respond to dramatic situations. So in Acts chapter 4, it's Peter and John are arrested. The reason they are arrested is because they are so bold. It says in verse 2 they were that the other people around were greatly disturbed because of them because they they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They had such a powerful message that the power brokers of the day were getting nervous. Fear was starting to creep in with them. And they were like, we need to put a stop to this and instill a little bit of fear in these disciples. So they arrested them. They arrested them and they probably, you know, they put together this big uh, dog and pony show to kind of like, kind of intimidate them. I can imagine like they're, they're in the room, like with the table and the hot light, you know, on their face and all that kind of, you know, you've seen those cop shows. This is kind of the scene that I imagine. But what they're trying to do is they're like, we can, we can put an end to this. Just get a little fear in them. And then all of this will kind of move away, and it will go away, and it'll, it'll die out, and it'll be over. But they arrested them, and they're questioning them, and they're warning them, and they're saying, next time it's going to be worse. Stop telling people about Jesus raised, Jesus raised from the dead. Stop it. Stop doing that. And they say, we won't. In fact, they say, um... We're going to continue to do it. And it emboldened them. In verse 23, it says this. After they're on their release, Peter and John went back to their people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your, they did what your power and your will had to decide it beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word 
with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What an incredible scene. These people, instead of being cowered in fear and riddled with fear, just like they were before in this moment where they were, they were pressured and put to the test, they gathered together and they're just more and more emboldened that we can do that. A halfway faith is something that will always lead to fear. Here's why. A halfway faith is kind of living in two worlds. Where you're kind of kind of kind of straddling the fence and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should do this, maybe I should follow God, and but I want to just still kind of make sure that I kind of hedge my bets and I'm okay over here. And and it's a place where there's just kind of we, we, we think in circles. We're not quite sure what to do. We're not clear on how we should act. It's a place of fear. And so if we stay in this place where we're just kind of halfway unsure, uncertain, I think fear is something that will always kind of be a part of our faith. But there was a moment in time where the disciples settled in their mind, once and for all, this is it. They settled in their mind once and for all that they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus had raised from the dead. That I am going to give my life for this. We saw it, we know it, and we're 100%. And it's completely free. And all their fear goes away. And all the, all, the, all the things before that, you know, seemed like such a big deal became really, really small. They didn't worry about having enough. They didn't worry about failure. They didn't worry about what other people think. They didn't even worry about their own lives. They, were, they said, I know 100% exactly what my life is about, and this is it, and I'm moving forward. I want to ask you, if your life is something... This is consistently riddled with fear. I want you to think and reflect on what does that say about where you're at with your faith? I know it's a journey and it's a struggle, and these disciples are a perfect example of that. But the resurrection should give us a point in time and a marker in our life that kind of firmly establishes that from this point forward, that part of my life is settled. That part of my life I've moved on from. There are points in time to ask questions and seek and, 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 and figure it out. But there's also a point in time to say, this is settled in my life. Many of you in your life, you've, you've made that commitment, you've made that decision, and you've been baptized. And think about that symbol. The symbol is really the symbol of the resurrection. Is that before the resurrection, we're one way. We're riddled with sin. 
We're hopeless. There's fear. There's uncertainty. And it's not clear. But the symbol is supposed to be bold and dramatic. And I think maybe in our culture, it, it, it's become too just symbolic and too tame. It's like, okay, we're going to go to the reservoir and take a little bath and, and whatever, and now everybody's okay. But realize, early on, those people were making a statement, and they would publicly, in front of the community, go and be baptized. And what that said is, is right now, by me making this public statement, it is possible that my life is in danger because Christians were being persecuted and killed. But they were willing to do that. They're willing to publicly go out and say, this is something that at this moment in time, right now, I want to settle. And Christians out throughout history have made this, this has been an important milestone moment where it's like, at this point in time, when I go under that water, when I say that prayer, when I am all in right now in this moment, that something is different and something changes. That a line has been drawn, and there's no turning back. And that's where I am. And that's why throughout history, many times, people took great fear leading into baptism. Making sure they took some time to, to pray, to fast. Many times people prior to uh, Easter, many a lot of people were baptized in Easter historically in the church, and they would take that season, that 40 days prior to Easter, to, to fast and to pray and to prepare themselves and to study and to make sure they were, they were ready to go. But on that day, when Easter Sunday showed up, and that day when they came in that moment and they went to those waters, and that day when they proclaimed to the world that I know that there's lots of things that have happened in my past, but in this moment right here, right now, I proclaim wholeheartedly that I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, that I'm following him. At that moment in time, something changes. So in examining my own life, there's times where I believe that I haven't had such a clear line. I haven't had such a clear, definitive picture in my head, and sometimes the fears have started to creep in. That I know what I believe. That I know who's in control. And I know what I'm gonna give my life to. The clarity in those things is incredible power to drive out fear. You see in the scripture, the disciples gathered together again, and they prayed. And it says, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The ground shook where they were meeting. So powerful. And the Holy, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I believe that the resurrection should give us the power to rise above I believe it should be that marker in our life. That we say, now, from this point forward, that's it. That's who I am. That's where my identity is found. And there's such incredible freedom in saying and knowing. I, I have settled in my heart, in my life, 
want to believe. We want to know. If you're not there yet, well, I understand that. And the disciples understand that. But I think that we should get to a point where we say, God, I pray and I'm seeking to get to a point where the fear goes away. Where there isn't the doubt. Where I'm not halfway in, but I'm all the way in. I invite you to pray with me today. God, your message, the message of Easter, the statement that you made on that day, the statement that you made that you have once and for all overcome sin and overcome death. God, I pray that we would embrace that, that we would know that. There'd be something in our heart and life that just went beyond like a 50% belief, a partial belief. But God, I believe that you're calling us to something more, something greater, something bigger. God, that you've given us the power to rise above this. There's moments in time, God, where we're filled with fear. God, that we're frozen in time. That we're thinking about all the other things around us and we miss that you're right there beside us. God, but we believe that that's not your ultimate plan for us. That's not how you want us to continue to live. But you want to help us to overcome these fears. And so, God, even though I don't understand everything about you, God, I just proclaim today and I settle in my heart and I say, God, I believe. You are the risen Christ. You are the creator of this universe. You are the one I put my hope in. All other beliefs, all other truths, all other thoughts that I have in my head are taken captive by that thought. And I know. So God, if we're, if we're struggling, if we're fearful, if we're not where we want us to be, God, we just pray right now that you would come and show up and pour out your spirit in our life and take away our fear. You may have some of these phobias that the disciples had. And if you do, just take a moment to call that out. Cry it out to God. Say, God, I, sometimes I'm afraid of not having enough. God, help me overcome that fear. Whatever it may be, whatever fear you have, Say, God, take that away. 
fill me with your power, with your spirit, with your presence. Just as those disciples cried out to God and prayed, that risen Christ is just as alive today. The Holy Spirit is just as available as he was in those days to fill you up, to give you power, to give you strength. I invite you just to offer your own prayers to God. Cry out to him.